Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I'm traveling out to beautiful Western Canada today, and I want to introduce you to my guest. His name is Sam Thiera. If you get an opportunity to watch his TED Talk, it will immerse you in gratitude. It's thought-provoking. And just the simplicity of the language alone, I had to stop it a couple times just to ponder on some of his thoughts. Sam's goal is to engage individuals in both their personal and professional development, and he prides himself when working with teams and organizations on alignment, and he has done this for a number of years. So Sam, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Deb. I look forward to being able to share some of these insights and thoughts and have a lovely conversation with you today. Well, you're in the right place. I was really taken back. From your TED Talk, I I look at the languaging and how you speak about leadership and and really feel synergy and alignment with you. And I love that you say leadership is not a place or position. Leadership is a lifestyle. We are so aligned. I'm looking at you now smiling ear to ear. So my first question is, you, you start off in your TED Talk talking about living in the ordinary. And you you talk about some extrinsic things and you finished with the wooden doorstop. Share with us a day in your life in leadership. And, and what does that really mean, living in the ordinary? So what I mean by that is the fact that we get busy with our lives and oftentimes it's in autopilot. We're going down a pathway. We, we have our routines. And before you know it, The routines just become a constant. And what we forget are sometimes to stop because embedded in that ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences. And what that may mean is, you know, when I go and pick up my kids from school, maybe instead I I take a different pathway and suddenly I come across a a stream and a a beautiful place with all these trees and things, which I had never seen before because I just took that little pathway diversion, you know, and this is where. It's about the extraordinary embedded in the ordinary, because it's only by moving forward with your mind and eyes and thoughts open, will you actually uncover that extraordinary out of the ordinary. And when I did the TEDx talk, that's what I basically shared is the fact that you can have these epic moments that are truly extraordinary. You know, the birth of a child, getting your degree, uh, landing that first job, getting a new car. Those are, yeah, extraordinary things because they're unique. But embedded in that ordinary, which I call, is the extraordinary. And the way we can do this, if you'd prefer like me to carry on and share how we do the extraordinary, is is this concept I came up with, which I call carpe. So carpe diem, seize the day. 
But carpe is how I find the extraordinary in the ordinary. So carpe is curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. Curiosity is when you are out for your walk or as, you, as you're doing something, is to stop. That's Curiosity is, okay, there's something here. The A stands for appreciation. Appreciate it for more than what it is. So this is where, for example, a doorstop. A doorstop we always see, but there's something about it. And, and I appreciate it for more than what it might be. And I reflect on it. That's the R, where you add purpose and meaning to it. Now, P stands for perspectives. So we have these perspectives. I may see a doorstop and I think of career and how people have helped me in my career, or I see a puzzle piece and it's about connectedness. You may see something else because of your perspectives. And the last one is actually really important. It's experience. Because once you catalog and capture this as an experience and acknowledge it as an experience, you've now got your story. You've now got this piece that you can carry with you and always remember. Because oftentimes it's fleeting if we don't capture it. And if you don't capture it, that story or that experience dies an untimely death and it will just be forgotten. So there's a process of curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. Well, I love the way you answered that. And I, I knew if I framed the question, I had the extraordinary as a backup for question three, and I, I knew you would fluently answer it that way. It makes me reminisce back to something my Irish Nana used to say to me. And I love that you took carp from carp diem, which again, seizing the day and, and made it into a concept. And my grandma used to say to me, my Irish Nana, you can find the joys of today tucked in the corners if you open your eyes to see them. Mm, and, when, and, and when I read, you know, the model and how you developed it, and really the extraordinaries there, mm -hmm. if we take the time to really see. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's so beautiful the way you've put it together and, you know, not everyone's seeing the expression on your face when you talk about it, but it's almost like a, a level of enlightenment mm -hmm. and, and a path that got you there. So my second question has permanent residency on the podcast, and we would love for you to share what imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? I always say perfection is an imperfection. You know, it's something that you, you can't accomplish. Uh, so what I always find is, you know, there are times where, you know, you want to submit and do the best. Like when it came to writing my master's thesis, when it came to writing my book, you want to keep on working on it. And, you know, you keep polishing it, polishing it. And, you know, there's always something to change, something to do. And then a little voice inside of me says, Sam, you know what, it has to be done. It, like, this is never going to be published. It's never going to uh, finish. At a certain point in time, I think you have to say, okay, this is as good as it gets. And I think sometimes as a, in that process, I struggled with the, this is as good as it gets and realized that I think what I need to do is understand that uh, it's at a point where I think that it's able to accomplish what it's set out to do. And sometimes those little imperfections are what make it unique. I mean, one thing I do on the side is woodworking. And when I woodwork, 
you know, you can have that perfect piece that you can buy from a, you know, a online store and it looks beautiful and it's perfect, but the imperfections of the wood is what really makes it unique and how, you know, you look at those imperfections. And I always find that when I'm doing my woodworking, I always find that I pour my heart and soul into it and the imperfections that happen, it's a reflection of my imperfections. It's still beautiful, but equally at the same time, it's not perfect. And and I have to accept this. Well, and what I love about that is it's so aligned with the ordinary Mm -hmm. and inside the ordinary is the extraordinary. And it makes me think of a story you're a storyteller. So I thought, I'm just going to let whatever story comes to mind unfold here. Years ago, I used to be a medical case manager. And I had a client who loved woodworking, much like you as a hobby. And he landed up rebuilding some steps in his home. And his wife landed up with Alzheimer's and he was her caregiver. And at the end of their stairs was a little kind of alcove where they had two sitting chairs and they'd sit and have their coffee or their tea at night. And the last step squeaked. And for years, the wife said, I'd really, really like you to fix that. And, you know, it's on the honeydew list, right? And he never got around to it. And after she passed away, he said to me, I'm so grateful to myself that I didn't fix the step because the last step before I look and see our chairs brings me to happy tears because I can hear her saying, please fix that step. So it's the imperfections of the extraordinary moment of our lives that we land up engraving on and in our hearts. And it just brings back what I like to call an heirloom memory. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you talked about that, I went I, I went right back and thought about Tom and, and Mallory. And it's just so, so interesting that we compartmentalize these memories and just file them away. And it's one it's one little element like this beautiful conversation to just bring it back to the forefront of, of our verbal expression. Well, and one thing I can share with you is something I've been doing for so many years now and When you talk about those little memory, I call them uh, memory markers. Uh, For example, what I've done for uh, probably, oh, it's been about 10 years now, is when I meet somebody, I give them a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And the reason I give that to them is I say, okay, this is ordinary. What can you do with one piece if I give it to you? And they say, not much. And I said, but this is what you feel like. You feel like that single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. You're not sure where you fit in. You don't even know what the bigger picture is, but I'm going to make it extraordinary and transform it right before your eyes. And they're like, okay. I said, because this single piece, if I give it to you, it's ordinary. But look at the source. If I give you a piece of my jigsaw puzzle, do you realize my puzzle is now incomplete without you? Do you realize how much I need you and how important you are? And all of a sudden, a transformation happens on their face. And what I've heard over the years is a number of them have it taped to their mirror. And they tell me, they say, every morning I wake up, it reminds me someone said I was important. It's in little curio boxes. It's in backpacks and it's traveled around the world. It's in wallets. And then they see me at an event and they pull it out and show me. Or they come looking for me frantically saying, Sam, I can't find my puzzle piece. I feel disconnected. I need another one. And when I do this in my class in the last lecture, and I start packing all my stuff, I get a lineup of students shaking hands and wanting a piece of the puzzle. 
I hear from them all the time saying, I found your puzzle piece. And it just reminded me that this is how special it was. It's it's the heart-centeredness of the quality of, of giving it. And it's that connection to you, even though it's extrinsic, mm-hmm. it's very much intrinsic because you've made that beautiful connection with them. That's lovely. That's a lovely story. Now, I know you talk about getting to know who we are and that it's distinctly our direction. We are our own tour guide. Share with us a couple of strategies that you have used or you would share in your leadership coaching. How can people get to that level of of self-acceptance if they've had tremendous barriers? It's always interesting because I do about three to eight conversations a week. It's been about 5,000. And many of the times they come to me, they see me as an orange saffron bearded man on top of a mountain who's going to just tell them what they need to do in life. And I always say, I'm going to play the part of the difficult monk. The monk that you seek is within you. My responsibility is to ask you questions. And those answers lie within you, but I just need to help pull those out. I think we spend so much time talking about what. In other words, you're in high school. Well, what are you going to take in university? And then you have to make some decisions, but you're not quite sure. When you're in university, what are you going to do when you graduate? And then you start coming up with jobs and then you start putting yourself out there. We are so focused on the what. I want to shift this to who. In other words, let's find out who you are and then establish the pathway to what you want to do. And I came up with this concept, and this was actually nothing that I read. It just, it's what I had to do for myself to release myself from that cycle of what to who. There are five things that guide and direct me in life. And the idea is life and career, servant leadership, stories sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Anything that I pursue has to hit five out of five. And then I know I don't have a job or career, it's fulfillment. So with the people around me, I always say, what are the five things that are going to guide you in life and career? And we sit down and many people are fearful because I'm asking them to pick five things. And they're like, you know, it's so hard because I don't know what five I should pick. And I said, well, part of the reason being is you're anchoring yourself because you think that you're stuck with these for the rest of your life. I said, no, no, you start with five. And as you change through jobs, careers, uh, outlets, and the friends you've gotten things, your, your words are going to change. But think of it this way. If you want to build a house, you need a solid foundation. To build a life, you need a solid foundation. So I say, okay, what are the five things you're not willing to compromise? But here's how I always get my clients or students to think about this. I say, tell me about classes you took that you liked and didn't like. Why? And then tell me about work you've done. What did you like about it? What is it that you didn't really resonate with? But why? What do you do in your spare time and social life? But why do you do this? And the idea is to start maybe pulling some words that resonate. For example, oftentimes people say one of the words that's really important to me is family. I said, okay, so family is a really good word, but let's expand it. Why is family important? And then they start saying, well, it's, you know, I feel really connected to my family and the extended family, my relationships. And I said, okay, let's stop for a sec. You've just used the word connectedness or connections and uh, relationships. Is that important to you? And they're like, oh, yeah. 
does that apply to your work environment as well as your family? And they're like, oh yeah, no, I love to build it. I said, okay, instead of family, let's replace that with connections and relationships. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So the idea is to, to start focusing on this and coming up with it. Because once you have these five things, you can balance it against what you're doing now. Maybe it hits two or three out of five. Now you can tell yourself, okay, how do I make it four out of five? Can I make it four out of five? And it provides you a really solid base to work from. The other part that I often ask, and I ask this of my students, it's one of the toughest things they say it's, it, that they find. I ask them to write a personal statement in week two, and then we revisit it in week 12 in case they want to modify and change it based on everything I've talked about in my class. And it's interesting because it starts out like a resume. I do this, I do this, I do this. And then I say, okay, I am someone who dot, 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 and I want you to put it in the words that you would use if you and I met for the very first time and make it interesting. I use my example because if you and I meet for the first time and you say, Sam, tell me about yourself. I'll say, you know, there are five things that guide and direct me in life. And I share those five. And what that allows me to do is to help individuals in life and career, organizations and teams in alignment through storytelling, through writing speaking, and then I go into the, and it just makes a more compelling statement that you can now have. Well, I love that. And you've just segued me beautiful into my last question for you. Now, I know that you've authored two books. You've done one on storytelling, and the second one was a travel memoir. What led you to want to take the journey to India to find your ancestral roots. And I know that you went with a faded photograph and I know this is a big story, so I'm gonna ask you for the Coles Notes version, but where did the depths of that come for you to engrave this on your heart and say, I want to do this, I need to do this? Right, and I, and I write about this in my book and it's, there were two things that really drove me. One, this faded photograph. So we were a couple of generations away from India. My grandfather left, when he was young, wound up in Fiji. My parents eventually moved to England. I was born there. So I'm a British-born Canadian with parents from Fiji and grandparents and ancestors from India. So I was not sure, well, people ask, what part of India are you from? And I'm like, uh, born in England, raised in Canada? No, no, your parents, what part of India? Fiji. And they're like, are you Indian? So we struggle with this identity piece, and I think a lot of people relate to it. But if I don't do this, task, even with a faded photograph, very little information. Our connections to my ancestors was a very thin thread. And if I don't do this because no one else is doing it, that thread gets broken when I'm no longer with this world and we're separated from our ancestral roots. So I, I really wanted to find this. The other thing I write about in this book is when I was nine years old, my father had a uh, industrial accident and became a paraplegic. And as a result of this, he's never been to India. And, you know, we've had a, a, a very solid and great life together. Uh, I wanted to do this for him. So I went to this on this journey to find and reconnect so that I could find his father's house, my grandfather's house, and just bring this back, not for just him, but all my extended family. The journey is the most important part in this book because it's about discovering 
not just my ancestral roots, but it's also about discovering my own identity. And that's why I called it Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, because I was able to find my ancestral roots, but I was also able to reconnect and find my own identity as a British-born Canadian, parents from Fiji and grandparents from India. That's beautiful. You know, when it goes back to the start of this conversation, you know, when we when we live in the ordinary and even have a glimpse of the extraordinary and just the connectedness and doing such a beautiful gesture for your father. But I always find some solace and a level of awareness, you know, when I hear music or go back to looking at one of my childhood homes and thinking and being immersed back in that time. So what a beautiful experience for for you and your father and and excited that you've written about it. And I like that you framed it, that it was kind of closing the circle for you for your own identity. It's kind of nice to know where you came from. Powerful. I really, really love that. That's beautiful. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fast fab four. Just We just want to know what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. (laughs) Tell us something that we don't know about Sam. Well, for 11 years, I played in a military Irish pipe band. And I mean, I'm Indo-Canadian. And when I started, uh, I had I had never drummed before. But my pipe major, who's a dear friend of mine, said, I can teach you the drumming. I cannot teach you commitment. If you're committed to this, I want you to be a part of it. But just the fact that I got to do this for 11 years and uh, play in the regiment parades. To, and, you know, I always said to myself in the past, I don't want to watch a parade. I want to be in a parade. And here I got to pursue and do something. And it was so much fun for 11 years. Well, I'm Irish and I know how fun Irish people are. So I'm just going to put a full stop because I know how much fun, but I love the metaphor. You know, it's, it's like we can take the horse to water, but we can't make Mm -hmm. them drink. Same alignment. I can teach you how to drum, but I can't give you the commitment. So again, it's just, it's so in line with your journey, Sam. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Second question, please finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Where you really appreciate and understand yourself so that you can then support and help other people. It's about the same analogy of when that mask drops in that uh, airplane safety video. Put it on yourself first, because if you try to help other people and you're not at the point where you need to be, you can't help them. So I need to have a fulfilled heart in order that it provides me the capacity so I can share with other people. And just quickly, what I would say is that oftentimes we feel like a giant bucket pouring into other people's uh, buckets and we feel depleted. But a realization hit me that instead of a bucket, I'm a lit candle with a room full of unlit candles. And when we touch, we have a giant flame emerge. But as we pull apart, my flame is no less depleted. That's how I go through life is the fact that I've been given this opportunity and a gift to share. Well, and I'm so happy you went there because I wanted to align something that you say in leadership. I talk about self-care a lot. And I started a self-care conference back in 2018. And we were we went across Canada and we were just ready for kind of round two when COVID hit. 
My definition of self-care is that it's not a person, place, or thing, that it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. So it's so aligned with what you said about leadership not being a position or a place, that it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And again, if if we don't have self-acceptance and look after self, we're really no good to anybody and we certainly can't lead. So I love the metaphor of, of the mm -hmm. candle and lighting the candle. So good. Third question. Tell us a book that you want to read or you've just finished and who the author is and why you chose to read it. It was called um, The Storyteller's Secret by Gallo. And the reason uh, I really enjoyed it is it became a, a checklist for me because as a storyteller, it, in other words, I'm not, I'm not a, I've never done a course in storytelling. I've never done YouTube video watching and learned. This is something that I've just naturally got. But when I read The Storyteller's Secret by Gallo, it literally was tick mark, tick mark, tick mark that, yes, I'm doing the right thing based on what someone has said. This is the way it should be. So it just reinforced. And I think I also appreciated that there were stories in there because I, I do appreciate stories. So The Storyteller's Secret by Gallo is one I would recommend. I haven't had a repeat yet. So we're going to have this amazing book list at the end of this season because I love the diversity of, of all the avid readers that have been on the show. So my last question is, what is one thing you would like our listeners to remember about Sam? Actually, there's two quotes that I live by. One, obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success. In other words, do not fear the obstacles, embrace them and realize that these are going to be part of your life. And it's about learning from that. The second one, which I live by, everyone's life is an autobiography, make yours worth reading. It's not a challenge to go out and do dangerous things, but the fact is that we are living autobiographies and always remember this. And that's where that extraordinary out of the ordinary emerges where, you know, as long as it's important to you, it's worth sharing. Well, I, I'm delighted that our, our paths have intersected and aligned. And I look forward to staying in touch and mm -hmm. connecting with you on social media. And we'll put all of Sam's contact details below in the podcast episode description. And I'm grateful for your time and expertise, but I'm most appreciative that you shared your heart with us today. Thank you, Deb. And like, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity because you know you never know who's going to be listening to it. It's maybe something somebody needs to hear, and that's really why we do what we do. Absolutely, and it was great having you today on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.